your children from wrongdoing Cause you know done well that they'll go to hell They'll go to hell Hey you scruffy looking nerf herders Welcome to a very special episode of The Good Play Which is normally about NBC's The Good Place But this week is about Star Wars the Last Jedi. Star My name is Wars, nothing but Star Wars. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, I've only seen raw power like this once before. <laughs> it's my sister Marissa. All right, nerds. Let's We're getting into it. You're okay. Before... I just... Go okay. ahead. No, no. <laughs> you can tell we're excited. You can tell we're excited. Before we get into our Last Jedi discussion... Which, by the way, is going to be 100% spoilery, so please stop listening if you have not seen the movie. Just turn it off right now. Turn this off. Let's, I want to, I want to give you, Brianna, and my uh, bona fides here, okay? Yes. Oh, this is a good... Yes. Yes. So, we are no Johnny-come-latelys to the Star Wars scene, my dudes. No. (laughs) (laughs) We owned... Two VHS copies of each of the Trig, as we call it. Yes. The the black VHSs, which disappeared at some point. I think I lent them to Tina Lynn and she never uh, gave them back. Shouts to Tina Lynn. Shouts to Tina Lynn. And, <laughs> and the gold versions, which of course were the ones that were released after the movies were re-released in theater. So they mm-hmm. had some changes, although not all the changes, I think, that were eventually made. Um... We have seen each of the Ridge Tridge conservatively a thousand times. I was just telling somebody that I cannot remember the first time I watched Star Wars. No, nor I. It has just been in my body and my blood and my consciousness <laughs> since for as long as I can remember. Which I think we can thank our mom for that. Thanks, mom. Seriously. Yes. Seriously. Like, not not sarcastic. Thank you, Mom. No. I sound sarcastic, but it's just because I'm so revved up that it's just my voice. <laughs> Between our mom and our dad, our mom is the one who actually has, like, the geek gene. Dad does not care. In any case, so that's... So we have seen the original Tridge, like, conservatively a thousand times. In terms of the prequels, so I was, I think, 15 when Phantom Menace came out. Um, I got excited for each of the prequels. I saw each of them in the theater, and each time I realized what a pile of steaming garbage it was. Um, and I have never seen e- any of those three movies again, aside from my one experience in the theater. What about you? I saw each of them in the theater. Um, I was 17 when Revenge of the Sith came out, and um, that was my first midnight showing. Oh, wow. Of a movie. Uh, I think I'm Mom- sorry. I think mom only let me go because it was Star Wars. She was like, all right, you have to have this. Um, I dressed up like... um, Darth Maul. Darth Maul. Mom did my makeup. I showed her a picture and I was like, I have to look like this. And she was like, no problem. So she did it. Get my lipstick and eyeliner and I'll be right there. Super itchy, but totally worth it. I went with my boyfriend at the time and a bunch of his friends. You mean you're not still with that guy? Sadly, no. <laughs> uh, we had a lightsaber fight in the parking lot um, that was recorded by like a local TV station, and I just hope it's somewhere like languishing in, in a. Yeah, but you're you're bearing the lead here. You hated all the prequels. I did hate all the prequels. But have I you do... seen them since you saw them in the theaters? No, I so Spike TV when I had cable 
would do like over holiday weekends they do like the big marathons and i passed through spike tv while they were playing uh, attack of the clones once and i watched it for three seconds i was like and then I, <laughs> I was like call me back when we get to episode four and i'll be good but i have seen yeah i've only seen each of the prequels i may have seen the first one more than once for like the pod racing because i was little yeah you were 11 i think maybe 10 or 11 yeah but so I mean but our general position is that the original trilogy is sacrosanct yes. and I don't want to hear anybody coming at me about oh Return of the Jedi is not as good and the Ewoks and blah blah anyone who comes at me with that just gets immediately shut down I agree and the uh, prequel trilogy is a steaming pile of garbage that's completely irredeemable and I never want to see it or talk about it again that's fair I also that wanna, is, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to just tell a story that illustrates you know our our worldview here um, I had a boss many years ago who is just a wonderful guy, and he uh, has a stepson that he wanted to introduce uh, Star Wars to. And he's just casually said in the office, like, well, I can't figure out whether or not I should I should do the prequels first, because, you know, they come first sort of chronologically, or I should go straight for the original trilogy. And I said to him, think about the movies that you want to be watching over and over again for the rest of your life. Do you want to watch the steaming piles of garbage that were the prequels? Or do you want to watch the best movies that were ever made? And I convinced him. He showed his stepson the original trilogy. And then he told me that when, uh, in in uh, Empire Strikes Back, when Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his father, apparently this kid didn't know that from, like, the cultural, whatever. He was, like, maybe <laughs> seven years old. So... My boss and the kid's mom are downstairs, and they hear a <gasps> from upstairs. They go, buddy, are you all right? And he runs downstairs, and he says, is Darth Vader really Luke's father? That's such an amazing thing to experience, like, yes. the virgin territory of that uh, plot point. Yes. And then I met this kid several times, and we bonded instantly over Star Wars, and uh, he, you know, we're buds now. <laughs> Because of Star Wars. <laughs> okay, so we've. I th- I hope we have yeah. illustrated that we are credentialed to have yeah. this discussion. And do we want to also talk about where we are with like the Force Awakens and Rogue One? Yeah, I'll, um, I saw Rogue One once or twice. I enjoyed it. Um, I think it has major structural problems, but I I think that it, there are parts of it. That, certainly, the the last third of that movie is absolutely lit. excellent. Lit as hell. Uh, I I loved The Force Awakens. I thought Me it was too. wonderful. Me um, too. Uh, I didn't see it more than again. I didn't see it more than once or twice, um, maybe three times. Um, but I've got no complaints about The Force Awakens. Really, I mean, my only complaint about The Force Awakens is the hauling Rathtar scene. Oh, I agree. I I would totally skip that scene. That yeah. scene is 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 useless. So that that to me is the skippable scene in in The Force Awakens. But I've seen it. I saw it, I think, three times in theaters and then, you know, multiple times over. I have it on Blu-ray, so multiple times over the course of the year. And as our listeners, our faithful listeners know, I just had a Star Wars marathon with a bunch That's of my right. friends. That's so right. So I will, I'm, I'm going to call collectively Rogue One, The Force Awakens, and The Last Jedi sort of the new crew. Yeah. You know, the newest crew of movies. They're not, I can't 
lump them chronologically, so I have to lump them, you know, in terms of when they were actually made and produced. Right. Chronologically um, released rather than chronological in the canon. Exactly. Yeah. So the new crew of movies. And so let's get into The Last Jedi. And I will say, here's my thesis statement about The Last Jedi, which I sort of, you and I spoke briefly earlier in the day. Yeah, Marissa called me while I was at work to talk about Star Wars, and I picked up the phone. And I went into the hallway, and I had a 20-minute conversation with her. And people were, like, walking past me, and I was just sort of, like, waving at them and being like, no, 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 we, like, this is totally official business. Very important business call about Kylo Ren. Yes. Those high pants. Oh, okay. We'll We're get there. Get there. <laughs> <laughs> My thesis statement about this movie is that at its best, it is far and away the best of the new crew. And at its worst, it is far and away the worst of the new crew. I don't find it particularly fruitful to compare the new crew to the original Tridge or to the prequels. The prequels are garbage and yeah. nothing should ever be compared to them. Yeah. The original Tridge, you know, to me will always be holy texts so i can't really do a fair comparison you that's fun that's funny you say that because you texted me i saw it first i saw it opening night uh and i again dressed up i dressed as Jin urso because uh marissa got me a Jin urso jacket last year for christmas <laughs> yes i did shouts to you um and so i saw it first and i texted you like the next morning and i was like oh my god and you asked me how i rated it and i said you know it's just so different that it was really hard for me to put it in order. But I think your thesis statement like makes a lot of sense because to me, the original trilogy will always be like, you know, as you said, the, the, the book of wills, shall we say in this case, like the, the sacred text for us. And then, um, you know, this new crop, it was so different from force awakens. So different from, from, uh, Rogue Rogue one. That it was hard for me to compare. Um, but yeah. So I, I made a list and it turns out that, I mean, we may run into some differences as we go, but it turns out Brianna and I have pretty much the same opinion on everything in this movie. So that's going to make things easier. Yes. Also like every movie ever made, but you know. No, I like Moulin Rouge and you do oh, not. that's right. I don't that's like That's the that. one movie that we disagree on. So I made a list of good things, uh, meh things and bad things. And then... Maybe we can kind of, you know, once again, zoom out to more of a 10,000 foot view. So let's start with the good. And obviously the best part of this movie, bar none, best of the new crew, anything is all the stuff between Ray and Kylo Ren. Holy guacamole. Yes. Oh my God. It was like, you know, the beginning of the movie, like there's some good action at the beginning, some, a little humor takes a little bit to get started with like Luke and Ray on the island and I'm like all right trying to get my bearings the sec- I said this to you earlier today but the second they like have their first like force book chat force <laughs> I stole that I stole that but I'm using okay. it okay um force book chat like sort of uh like they both look up and then she gets so so viscerally she has such a visceral reaction that she shoots through her hut and it hits him and he feels it. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm in 100%. I am in so much for this storyline. And it delivered every step of the way. It delivered like dominoes! Every step of the way. And I gotta say, up front, when, before The Force Awakens came out, when they were announcing the cast, 
they were like, Adam Driver is the new villain. And I have never seen Girls, but that was the only thing I knew him from. And I was like, they're going to cast that, like, hipster dude to be, like, the, you know, the next great villain. I was like, ha, 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 this is going to be hilarious. Then he turned out to be my MVP for The Force Awakens. He was phenomenal. And in this movie, he was even better. He was so good. He was so believable as when he started to, when you thought he was starting to turn, right? You could, like, see it. He was so believable being, being vulnerable. He was so believable being, like, emotionally abused by Snoke. He was so believable in the pain in his face when he's deciding to pull the trigger, you know, or not. And then believable again at the end when he beco- he comes, like, completely unhinged. So that's my whole thing about Adam Driver in this movie. It's just he's just far and away, I think, the best, you know, one of the best acting performances. I think probably the best acting performance for me in this movie is, is him. And he, But he's so believable. And everything with Ray was just, I was in a thousand percent. I'm so on board. There is more chemistry in one look. Yes. Between Ray and Ben. I will call him Ben. I was you will say, not stop me. Listeners, in our notes, she wrote uh, everything with Ben and Ray. OMG, OMG. And I said, oh, we're calling him Ben now? Is that what we're doing? We're, yes, we're, that's what we're doing. <laughs> My poor husband had to sit next him. to me in the theater as I was like, what is this? Hello. <laughs> yeah, your poor husband also had to text me. Uh, over the weekend and I was like I have very complicated feelings about Kylo Ren shirtless and he was like yeah and so then you guys got out of the movie and he texted me first to say Marissa feels the same way about Kylo Ren and I was like laughing he didn't have to be shirtless I mean that was a bonus yeah it was but oh my god I mean they the two of them just radiated chemistry I mean they first of all they, they each individually radiated just the most like uh, the most wonderful energy of, of, you know, being fully there in these characters who are so, you know, apart from everything else in this world because of their powers. But then also their on-screen chemistry, one look between the two of them when they weren't even in the same place. Yes. <laughs> one look between them over force book chat. More chemistry in that than... Three movies of Anakin and Padme. I know we said we weren't going to talk about the prequels. But no, like... but you're right. You're right. I mean, that that's a testament to the acting, but it's also a testament to you know the the story and and just the 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 tenuous connection between these characters. We don't know. I mean, I will say, like in the Force Awakens, there were people who were Raylo shippers, and I was like, oh no, because. He gets so creepy with her, and he... Oh, so know, super creepy. He literally <gasps> says to her, you know, I can take whatever I want. Oh, and yeah. I was, like, I was like pressing my body yes, back I was in like, my seat, being like, no, 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 rapist. No, rapist. I, yeah, no, exactly. no, no. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot, I will not stand for this. And then in this movie, it is like, what I said to my friend, I saw it with a, a few friends, uh, one of whom, the, you know, one who was sitting directly next to me, had, like, by the end, we were, like, curled up like holding each other and crying <laughs> in like a fetal position and like meanwhile my husband won't even high five me <laughs> um but what i said to one of my friends was what i loved about this connection in this movie is that you can see they gave you just like a taste of what 
it could be if these two were in sync and on the same side and working together and they gave you a taste of, of how well they they work together and flow together and then they tore it apart again that so you broke to, yeah. my heart yeah i mean and when we saw the force awakens with our mom who is a psychologist by training we left the theater and and she was talking about kylo ren and she said it's like having a kid who you're trying to get him to go to rehab Oh, I don't remember her saying that. I, she said that in the car on the way home. And I think about that all the time. I think about that when I watch The Force Awakens. Because I agree. And in, in at the end, I, I gotta say, the pinnacle of this, of, of their relationship to me in this movie was the throne room scene. Oh, obviously, yeah. Snoke. It is beautifully choreographed. Just so surprising and amazing. I was so on the edge of my seat the entire it's time. It's gotta be the best lightsaber scene maybe ever ever in any star wars movie i think so i think so and i i will also interrupt my own thought to say i started having adam driver feels uh before this movie (laughs) because i saw a they released a clip of all the characters training for their various fights and there's adam driver in like a like a uh sleeveless t-shirt like sweating and like oh good night for a lightsaber fight i'll send it to you it's fantastic i'll pick it up (laughs) Uh, and i was like oh hello i don't know what's going on here um but so at the end of that scene they've just had this like amazing connection and chemistry and then he says come to the dark side and she says don't do this ben and i she doesn't he doesn't exactly say come to the dark side right it's more like come come with me and we yeah, I mean, he he kind of makes it out like he wants to throw away the entire concept of light side and dark side. Yeah, and just like, you know, down. let's just do this together. And like, whatever, light side, dark side, it's not really a thing. Yeah. And she said, the, the heartbreak in her voice when she says, don't do this, Ben, is to me like you almost got him to the rehab center. And then he decided he didn't want to go. And then he like shot up the rehab center from the driver's side window of his car, just threw a, th- threw a few Molotov cocktails at the rehab center as he drove past at 90 miles an hour. And then he makes up a story to his, like, junkie friend about how, like, his <laughs> girlfriend was trying to get him to go, but he doesn't yes. want to go, right? Because oh, he gets up at the yes. end. What happens? The Snoke girl killed girl. Snoke. He doesn't even say Ray's name. The girl. The Good. girl. God almighty. I I just there can I am so invested and interested in their connection. At the end of the last movie, I was like, they're obviously gonna face off again, but I, I didn't I, I wasn't so concerned about the connection between those two because I was more worried about or not worried, but more interested in who are Ray's parents and all that kind of stuff. And this time it's like, no, it's not about that. It's about the connection between these two characters. We're going to drive that home. And it's and I'm totally into Ray's parents being nobodies, by the way. Oh, see? Totally into it. I'm actually not so sure. I think he's lying to her. So I I did some research for this episode (laughs) in the last last six hours or whatever. It's not even been that long since I saw it. Yeah. The director says that in that moment, Kylo Ren thinks he's telling the truth. He is not lying. He might be wrong, but he is not lying. Because I sort of took it as... Because that's the point at which he's getting her to say... Or he's trying to get her to come with him. Not, not as you said, maybe come to the dark side, but come with him and sort of start a new order, right? 
let's do this together, me and you, and it's me and you against the world kind of thing, and she's resisting, and his hook to get her in is, I know about your parents, I know who your parents are, I know what that means for you, and say it, like, you know it too, and, you know, when she says nobody, to me, because of the context, because he wants something from her, I thought he was manipulating her. Can I say that I kind of... I don't think Ben is doing that. <laughs> I look, but if you only look, he's look, so different. he's basically it's just the two of us. <laughs> oh, shut up! Look, I get that he's essentially like he, 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 at this moment. You know, he might as well be Richard Spencer, right? I mean, he is. He's like a, a white nationalist or alt right figure. You he's know, a, in yeah, our modern, he's a, he's a neo Nazi, yeah. Basically, yeah. Ba- well, but uh, well, the. Can I just another podcast? Wait, wait, wait. Or, but but okay. but I believe he feels this genuine connection with Ray. I really oh, I do. I believe that too. I believe And that I don't too. think it's not like I think oh he's above lying to her if it serves his ends, but I really think in that moment it's a it's a moment of pure honesty between the two of them and that that's what the director confirms as well. Yeah. I mean, I think what a friend of mine who I watched it with said, my friend felt like Kylo is just affirming what uh, Ray is afraid of. She she goes to that. She's got that trippy scene, that like Twin Peaks ass scene in uh, that like dark, disgusting seaweed hole on the island. Oh 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 oh! Her 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 synchronized swimming scene. Her synchronized swimming. Her her remember your failure at the cave scene, basically. Like, and she she says, "Show me my parents," and it's just her. And I was on the edge of my seat for that, too. I was like, way to fake me out. So, you know, my friend was like, well, maybe he's just affirming to her what she already believes. You know, he's he is trying to sort of be not supportive of her, but say, like, don't worry about the past. Right. You're so wrapped up in the past. Don't worry about it. Your parents were nobodies. But you know what? We better hope that he that he was telling the truth and that he was correct. Because if the whole galaxy is riding on this one bloodline of which there is only going to soon be one alive member, and that one alive member vacillates between being my hot force book chatting boyfriend and um, throwing a temper tantrum and trying to shoot a hologram, I, like, the galaxy is done Fizzucked. for. Fizzucked. <laughs> Okay, we got to move on because we're like 25 minutes into this thing. I want to spend about. conservatively 100 hours talking <laughs> about Kylo Ren and Rey. That I know. All, I mean, we're going to see each other in a couple days for family festivities. And we're going to see this movie again. And I'm... Mom is going to have a hard time making it through without a pee break. We'll tell her when to go. We She can go pee during the, the casino scene. Oh, God. Well, we'll get there. We'll get um, to that. <laughs> So the the next thing I had under the good was pretty much everything with Luke. Um, yeah. I thought everything it. with Luke was really great. I, I mean, there wasn't it. there wasn't really a misstep as far as I could see uh, with Luke's stuff. He did a great job being a hermit. I thought he. I thought they were very. What I'll say about this movie. What I. What I. Sort of my thesis about the movie is that it's very brave. Regardless of what you think about the choices, they were very brave. I think the Force Awakens, uh, as much as I love it did kind of stick to a certain formula. And I think Star Wars, because it's such a part of the cultural zeitgeist and just a part of how we look at storytelling, it sort of teaches you how to watch it. And I think a lot of people who are salty about uh, about uh, The Last Jedi 
had fan theories that didn't come true or were expecting a certain thing that didn't happen. I, I tried to go in with as few expectations as possible. And even I said, I think I know what's going to happen. You know, someone's going to lose a limb. Someone's going to find out they're related to somebody else. We know the story, but I didn't know, I didn't know this story. And what I loved about what I didn't know about Luke's story was that he is, you know, he's not purely a hero. He has moments of weakness he lets his weakness get get the better of him, uh, and he has like real human failures, and has to really contend with the fact that at the end of Return of the Jedi, he was a legend. And I think that you know, on a meta level, that's also the story of the Star Wars property, right? Like you're a legend, and then you make some missteps, right? You you have this amazing original trilogy, and then you've got these prequels that are complete garbage, <laughs> and oh. now you're coming back, and you have to you know. Pass the torch. This is him. This is Luke passing the torch. At the end, what after he exerts himself and he's sitting on that rock and he looks up at the twin suns like he's back on Tatooine and then he disappears. Yeah. I was just so moved by that. I was so moved by that. I was um I was a little stunned that they actually did kill him off. I mean Me that too. that seemed like a huge step. That I'm not too. sure it was strictly necessary. And apparently Mark Hamill was not into it. <laughs> Well, he's going to come back in episode nine as a force ghost. You know, yeah, I wonder what a, you know, it's really great to play Lego Star Wars as a force ghost character. So I wonder what it's like to have a force yes. ghost character like hanging around all the time. That's one of my friends was like, uh, force ghost Luke is just going to nag the crap out of Kylo Ren just all the time. Just like, that's so amazing. Him. It just haunted him every night. He just haunted him all the time. <laughs> Just drive him completely crazy. Maybe yeah. that's what gets him to go to rehab. <laughs> oh. Loved the Jedi planet uh, and the little nuns oh. who take care of the God. Jedi buildings. It made me miss Ireland so much. That's what all of them Okay, Braggy McBraggerson no, and the Braggalot like, gang. My, my old roommate moved to Ireland for three months, and when I got him, I the present that I got him before he left was... Um, an Ireland guidebook, and at the beginning they have a map, and I drew Skellig Michael, which is the island that they filmed this on, on the side, and I said, I'm coming to visit you because I want to go to Skellig Michael. <laughs> I just really liked the, you know, the weird touches of it, and how Luke has survived there for so long, and you know, the, the ancestral Jedi um, paraphernalia, and the dark seaweed hole of um synchronized dancing and that was the trippiest thing i was like don't you go in that hole ray no <laughs> i thought the whole thing was just great i mean really everything with ray's subplot you know whether it was to do with luke or kylo ren or yeah. ben uh it was so yeah. great uh, well okay. and there's a there's a great parallel too between with luke and um kylo and ray uh, Kylo saying to Ray, he didn't he he didn't tell you the truth, did he? And Ray is basically saying, yes, he did. He told me everything. That is almost a direct mirror of Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough, right? That sort of, and then finding yep. out the truth. Luke tried to kill me. Ray has to contend with that. And I have to say, one of my favorite moments was when. With with Luke between Luke and Ray, one of my favorite moments was when Ray decides that she has to go to Kylo Ren, and Luke is saying, "Don't do this. This isn't going to go 
this isn't going to go the way you think it is. And she says, she holds out his lightsaber and he doesn't take it. And she says, all right, then he's my last hope, right? Like, it's, it's a moment of rise up and be the hero that I know you can be. And when he doesn't take the chance, she doesn't sink down and say, God, what am I going to do? She says, all right, I'm going to go solve. Peace. Yeah. I'm going to go try to solve the problem a different way because you won't help me, but I'm determined and I'm going to go do it. Why Chewbacca did not just pummel Luke upside the head at that point? Can I just say that Chewbacca in this movie is a great Chewie in this movie. The moment where, you know, Luke's not coming out of his little Jedi hut thing. And the moment where Chewie just slams through the door and and growls at him, you can just hear in that growl, like, the man that I love most in this world has died and you are sitting on your ass feeling sorry for yourself. Get out here and help us. I'm not Oh, and BT Dubs, world. his son killed him and, and it's kind of your fault because... Yeah. <laughs> yes. I really liked the whole Rashomon thing of, like, what exactly happened between Luke and... And, and Ben. Ben. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a great reveal. And I thought it was so brave of them to do that because it just shows even Jedi Masters have moments where, you know, they lose it for a second. And, you know, Luke realizes, oh my god, this is a child. What am I doing? Right? And yeah, I, then, wonder how old, I wonder how old Ben was in that moment. I think they tried to make him look a little younger. And honestly, that is a moment where I know we said we're not going to talk about the prequels and we keep saying this. But <laughs> that is a moment where you think about when Anakin slaughters all the kids, basically. You mean the younglings? The younglings, the Padawans. Padawans. Like, when, when Anakin kills all those kids... I mean, he does it kind of in cold blood at that point because he's so oh, far yeah. gone. But, you know, Luke, Anakin's son was ready to make the same choice. I'm going to slaughter this kid. And then he snaps out of it, right? So it's almost like... We're Not just this him. kid, my nephew. My nephew, my nephew, my own... Yeah, how would that have gone over exactly? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, Leia, about your only son. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I sensed uh, something kind of off in him, so I just decided to just chop off his head. I hope you're cool with it. God. What Though a... knowing Leia, she probably would have been better with that outcome than the outcome that actually happened. Oh, uh, I mean, can we Leia talk is about... next on my list, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, let, that's an, actually a good transition to, to Leia. Most of what happened with Leia in this movie, I was very into. Yeah. My, the exception is her unmanned space flight or whatever <laughs> you want to... Uh, her, un, her unshipped space unshipped. flight. Yeah. Where she is ejected into the vacuum of space and then force wills her way into another ship, which was so deeply goofy. Like, I appreciate that they wanted her to exercise her force powers but god there had to be another way even if it was just you know a slow motion the moment of of the of the uh bridge blowing up slow motion you see it zooms in on her and she kind of uses the force to pull together like a shield for herself of like debris from the bridge you know what i mean kind of creates a sphere around herself and then she you know uses that to get just something other than like because the image of 
of a of a corpse floating in space all frozen is like so it's such a thing in culture at this point and it's it's not you know it's, it's just, very guardians of the galaxy which is actually yeah, well, it's guardians of the galaxy it, it's you know um uh what george clooney and sandra bullock that oh, um gravity, uh, gravity right i was gonna say arrival totally different um tim robbins in that movie about mars back in the 90s like it's just it's this image and we've done it a lot and um it does not work here at all and also we've never seen now granted i haven't spent a lot of time hanging out in the expanded universe well it's all just now anyway um right but you know we haven't seen jedi in previous movies spend a lot of time just hanging out in space <laughs> just with in not in a ship right that's not something that we see a lot so i think that also i was like is that a like I, you know i would have just rather her just get knocked out and taken off the bridge or as you said you know she uses the force to protect herself or maybe she uses the force to send a distress signal to someone you know maybe she uses that as her moment to try to call out to luke and luke's not there i mean there are there are things that they could have done that I think would have been less. I think that's one of the scenes that's sort of being openly sort of mocked as being like, this is a, this is a bridge too far. And yeah. I and I, I, cause, and I feel bad because like, I love Leia. I love the idea of Leia getting to exercise her force power because she never does. And it seems like she doesn't exercise her force power because she has seen the destruction that it wreaks. Yeah. And she would rather, you know, change the world in a way that feels more controllable to her. And I totally yeah. respect that. Yeah. And I also respect the decision of in a moment of ultimate peril, she is going to reach down inside of herself and use this force power that she has. But you have to pick a less goofy way to illustrate that. I agree. I fully agree. I mean, okay. I, I think the thought was there. Um, the thought behind it, I can respect and appreciate, but the execution of it just looked so out of place with the rest of it um but i think the rest of her as a character uh in this i mean leia is just I, I carrie fisher is an icon i was so her death hit me so hard like harder than i thought it was going to oh my god and i was so i was so worried about this movie i i for sure thought that she was gonna die because i didn't know how they were gonna I think everybody watching that was like, oh, this is how they're going to kill her. Like, man, you know, wow. And then they didn't. And it's like, well, what? Okay. What the hell are you going to do in the next movie? That's a great question. I mean, you I, can't I almost kill someone, bring them back and then kind of kill them off screen before the next movie starts. I mean, that would be madness. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. And I almost like, I do wonder, I, I do. That is a, a much bigger question, but I, I mean, but I think, I was so happy because I thought, I thought she was, I thought that was how she was going to die. I really liked that Kylo decides not to pull the trigger, but it doesn't matter. I right. like that somebody else gets there, gets there after him and, and doesn't have the same conflict in them and just blows up a ship and it's not their mom. So what do they care? But I really liked most of her, of her plot line. And I liked the fact that they, that they did bring her back because I was just, when when Luke comes to reunite with her, even if he's a actual projection of himself, <laughs> their their 
bond in that in that moment and throughout this whole journey and i was just crying and crying and crying. i was just crying and crying and crying you know i brought tissues to the theater but i didn't end up crying at all i cried i super cried at that because it's just i i think that i would have cried anyway but the added weight of that line of no one's ever really gone right it's like you know that is for carrie fisher that is for right that is for just this icon that we've lost and and this wonderful character that has meant so much to i mean this this movie had a lot of a lot of ladies in it more ladies than any other star wars film has ever had and so for those of us growing up watching uh star wars and looking for looking for some female representation she was the end-all be-all for a while yeah last thing that i have in the really good category is yoda Yoda, yeah. mother forkers, Yoda. Yoda. Apparently, Ryan Johnson had to, Johnson, Johnston, Johnson, Johnson had to convince Frank Oz like not to have his name on the poster. He had to sneak Frank Oz in and out of the building. Frank Oz wasn't allowed to go eat lunch with everybody else. <laughs> Frank Jeez. Oz, yo, yeah, Frank Oz had to like hide in Mark Hamill's hotel room. <laughs> well, and then. So I saw, I was uh, paying, as, as our listeners know, paying a lot of attention to the LA premiere uh, last week. And um, I saw Mark Hamill tweeted a picture of Frank Oz on the red carpet and was like, look who it is. It's Frank Oz. And then he's like, hashtag spoiler. And I was like, uh, uh, excuse was, me, Mr. Hamill. And I was like, no, because I was like, he's a legacy character. And I'm sure as a courtesy, you know, they gave him you know, some comp tickets and, you know, he's just coming because he's part of this universe. And then just as, just as Luke <laughs> is about to set fire to everything, who shows up but my favorite puppet of all time. And you were correct. He was a literal puppet. They went <laughs> back, they went back to the the puppet from the Ridge and they used him as him, it, whatever. As a as a mold to make a new puppet, and they gave Frank Oz a puppet. I mean, which is how it should be it's because how it CGI be. Yoda was one of the worst parts of the prequels. I agree. I agree. CGI Yoda was like, and and I think that's part of honestly, like that's part of the charm of Star Wars is like you know people like to bag on George Lucas. I, oh yes, uh-huh. I don't <laughs> because I think he's I think he's a. Well, I will say, you know, misguided, obviously, with the prequels, but I think he, he dreamed up this entire world, and his imagination was more advanced than the technology they had at the time, so he made do with what they had, and it is sort of the charm of Star Wars that it is a, they, they figured out a way to build a physical world and physical characters that seem so lived in and realistic. And Yoda is a perfect example of that. All the droids are a perfect example of that. The the I know everybody, you know, at, at, when The Force Awakens was coming out, everyone's like, oh, practical effects. Like, stop talking about practical effects. Like, you know what you're talking about. But I do think that there's something really, like, seeing Yoda as, like, a substantial ghost. presence. A, a substantial, substantial ghost. ghost. <laughs> when he knocks Luke in the face with his, with his cane, I was like, we're back. We're back, baby. <laughs> And the fact that he calls Luke young Skywalker just got me. I was like, of course he's young Skywalker, because when you're 900 years old, everybody's young to you. Yeah, it was great. 
I was like Yoda. Yes. Yeah. I, anytime Yoda wants to come, I'm in for Yoda. Well, and he has one of my favorite lines in the movie, which is, we are what they outgrow. Yeah. I mean, it's true about parenthood, too. That's what I was sort of thinking about, that it's not just about, it's not just about teacher and student. It's also about parents, and it's about sort of the one generation to the next. We are, we are what they outgrow, and, and they're going to fly higher than us, and they're going to they're gonna stand on our shoulders to get to the next point, but we can't always go with them. That's so melancholy. Know, uh, but you know, the funny thing, the funny thing is that what Yoda says, like, there's nothing, I mean, he says it in Yoda speak, which I'm not going to try to imitate, <laughs> but he says there's nothing inside that tree that, you know, is not inside young Ray. It turns out that Ray stole the books. Uh, I didn't catch that. A friend of mine, okay, so a friend of mine and I and another one of our friends have had an ongoing Facebook chat since Saturday, uh, since uh, Friday, and where we just send each other articles and send each other, you know, like little snippets of things. And one friend was like, hey, did you catch that Ray stole the books? I was like, I super didn't. So I, I saw them kind of in the Falcon at the end. And I was like, that looks a lot like those books that that uh, Luke had. <laughs> and then I was reading a review that's like, yeah, Yoda says, you know, there's nothing in those books that Ray doesn't have. And it's like, Ray literally has the books and Yoda's just screwing with Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I love that even more. Which, of course, is such a Yoda thing to do. Right? It is. It is. He's the one, at the, you know, when we first meet Yoda, where he's he just acts like he's a space hermit. And he's not, like, the most powerful <laughs> I mean, he guy. is also a space hermit. He's also hermit. a space hermit. <laughs> I get so big eating food of this kind. I love... And I will say oh yeah, that was what. By the way, listeners, one of Brianna's best routines when she was a very young child was yes. to stand on her knees and to pretend to be Yoda. I mean, and she was she had the she had it down. I did, and I will say one of the joys of watching your older son, your younger son, not quite yet because he is too young, but one of the joys of watching your older son get into Star Wars is seeing him react and and. Uh, like his favorite characters when he, you know, at, at this age are the same favorite characters that I had at that Well, age. BB-8 is on the list. So well, that's sure. Little... But I mean, but I mean the droids and I mean Yoda and the sort of like um, a little sassy, a little funny, a little um, out of this world kind of character. You know, he's not as interested in the adults. He's more like, who are these like little heroes who are saving the day? Um, yeah, and he loves you know he loves BB-8, and I loved R2D2 as a kid. I loved Yoda as a kid. They're my faves, and the Ewoks for sure. And the Ewoks, we will hear no words against them. All yeah. right, we're gonna we're gonna move out of the section of things that we really really liked, and into Which the was section of pretty long, so pretty long. A plus. So buckle in, guys, and uh, we're gonna move into the section of things that we were like we didn't hate, but we're not like super fans of. Yeah. And the first thing is just, um, so Laura Dern, I forget yeah. what her, Admiral Holdo, I Holdo, believe. Yeah. Uh, probably I just like gonna her call hair. her, sure. And her outfit. Probably just going to call her Laura Dern. Um, sure. so, I, you know, on the one hand, I liked Laura Dern in terms of, I liked her, um, commanding presence. I liked how she would not take any guff from Poe. You know, obviously, I deeply admire her heroic sacrifice at the end. Um, that being said, I think she made a colossally stupid mistake in not informing anybody of this plan that she had, except maybe Leia, kind of. 
Um, Leia was unconscious, so I don't know how she would have known. Well, yeah, Leia at some point does know. But, um, you know, this whole notion of we're just going to basically drive on this road until we run out of gas and just trust me. Like, I, it's insane. Um, I hope to God that we do not have troops in Iraq who are being told just drive on this road until we run out of gas and trust me. That's not what a military commander is supposed to be doing, right? Mm. You're supposed to, even if you say, even if what you say to them is, there is an end game here. It is classified beyond a level where I can tell you what the exact end game is, but I have something planned out and just stick with me. Even something as simple as that, I think would have prevented Poe from letting Finn and Rose go off on this unbelievably stupid side quest, which we'll get into in the section of things that we hated. It would you have prevented hated it this more than I did, but okay. Ugh, it would have prevented this whole mutiny thing, which it wasn't just Poe, right? It was a Poe and a bunch of you know people who were sympathetic to him. One of not those characters be- uh, is played was- by Carrie Fisher's real life daughter. Yeah, not because those people were bad people or even necessarily super impetuous people, but because this person that they had no real experience with. Right, Laura Dern's character, who they have no real experience with, they don't recognize her. She steps in, and she all she can say to them is, "We're just going to do this thing," with no indication that there is a, a greater plan in place. And of course, you're going to have problems. I mean, that is not how you know a military organization is generally run. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think, I think. She was she was obviously brought in as a foil for Poe, and I will just pause for a second to say that one of my friends actually ships Poe and Haldo, which I was like, "What are you doing?" But you know, I did. There was a moment where they first locked eyes where I was like, "Oh, he, this is like a <laughs> May December relationship thing here." I, you know, I, I, I Poe basically flirts with everybody, so you know, I wish he would flirt with me. I mean, God, um, but. I think she was brought in to be such a foil for him that they took it a little bit too far. I think, um, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that if he, you know, the implication there is, and I appreciated this because my other thesis for this movie, my kind of jokey thesis is that it's just emotionally stable women dealing with emotionally unstable men. Like, all the time. <laughs> um, Ugh. God, that hurts. And I mean, and that's just also, that's just life too. But like, (laughs) um, but that's part of why I, I appreciated Laura Dern's character was that, you know, Poe is very showy and he's very like, you know, I want to, I'm going to go blow stuff up. I don't, you know, I'm going to lionize the people who died without really taking into account that like, I am in charge of who gets sacrificed, you know? Like, I, I make those calls and people are following me to their deaths kind of thing. Like, he's he's much more, he's a flyboy. He's into the garbage chute flyboy. That's him, right? But at the, at the, so at the other end of the spectrum, I think in order to sort of have that dichotomy, they just went way too far in the other direction and they made her like a silent martyr. When in reality, I think what would have been a a more reasonable thing was for them to have some friction and then for her to sort of bring him into the fold a little bit and at least say, look, you got to trust me. You got to trust me that I know what I'm doing. Right. Because at this, you know, the, the way you have to read this plot is basically that 
what Poe should have done because, you know, in disobeying her, he caused essentially enormous losses. Yeah. But that argues, but that is a, you know, it's hard to read that plot as anything other than he should have been blindly obedient to this leader that he knew almost nothing about only because she was uh, superior to him. Yeah. And um, that also kind of connects to Rogue One, right? Where, um, you know, when they're around the council, you know, they're in the council chamber or whatever, and they're trying to figure out, not council, but, you know, it's it's the it's the group of, of rebel forces trying to decide what to do, and they have to do it democratically. And, and Jyn Erso is saying, she's a flyboy too, right? She's like, let's go out there and let's rebel and let's get these guys. And the rebellion is saying, no, 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 we, we can't, we can't do that because not everybody's in agreement. We got to do the safe thing. We can't sacrifice any more people. And Jyn Erso and Cassian Andor and their sort of little rogue band end up disobeying orders and it ends up working out for them. Yeah, it's painted as absolutely the right decision, right? It's painted as the right decision. And eventually the rebel forces get wind of it and come and, and say, all right, well, if, we're, if you're in this fight, we're in this fight too. So there is a little bit of that same dynamic here, but at the same time, you know, the the plan that Rose and Finn and Poe hatch together fails miserably. Now, I liked that it failed because it does sort of fit in with this whole arc of like, you're, you know, what Yoda says to Luke about how, um, you know, we don't just teach them uh, how to succeed. We also teach them how to fail and we pass on our failings and that's supposed to make us, us stronger and them stronger, right? So I think it... It, it's it it's along the same arc of everybody's failing together but separately like separate missions but we're all failing sort of together but at the same time you're right I mean it costs them a lot and I wanted someone else to know even if it wasn't Poe I would have almost rather her tried to tell him and him just say you know what I don't know you I don't want to listen right like yeah something that made more sense right exactly uh, I will uh, just quickly say that I listened to a um, a red carpet interview with uh, Daisy Ridley where uh, she told the story of the first time she met Laura Dern. Have you heard this? No. Um, so the guy who's interviewing her was like, you had kind of a fan moment with Laura Dern, didn't you? And uh, Daisy Ridley was like, well, I don't remember this happening, but this is how she tells it. And so I will tell it. Apparently Laura Dern was on set, walking around the set with her daughter, and this was her first day on set, and and Daisy Ridley just opens up her trailer door and goes, Laura Dern, because of Jurassic Park. Like, <laughs> oh, like, Laura Dern. Yes, like yes, that. yes. So she opens she opens her door, trailer door, <laughs> sings Laura Dern's name to the theme of Jurassic Park, and then closes her door again. And, and Daisy Ridley's like, I can't be socially normal. Ever. so that's how I met her oh god but she's too good for this world she, oh, Daisy Ridley is a, is a treasure she's just a treasure so yeah I mean I, I, I agree with you I liked Laura Dern's gravitas and her commanding presence but I thought that they just mishandled her story yeah um, the other thing that I was kind of met on was the character of Rose um, let me start off by saying in case this wasn't obvious from everything we've ever said on this podcast like I am pro-representation in yes. media. Uh, any white boy who wants to whine about 
people who are not white boys being amazing can, you know, go take a long walk off a short pier. And it's <laughs> nothing to do with that. Yeah. I thought that Rose's character was uh, pretty underdeveloped. Uh, her writing was not particularly good. Um, you know, the actress really, you know, made a made as good a try, I think, as she could with the material she was given. But, like, when you are forced to act in a scene where you have completely bungled, like, a major mission and then you say that it's worth it because you've managed to unharness a giant, like, kangaroo, jackrabbit, horse monster. <laughs> like, that's not a scene that anybody can pull off. Anybody on the planet. Yeah, I mean, I will start off by saying Kelly Murchran is adorable and just, I'm so, I, I, I read a, a long form article about her on BuzzFeed that just was so, she seems so great. And apparently the, she caught a bunch of people at a bar talking about Star Wars. And she's like, hi, I actually play uh, Rose in the movie. Hi. And they're all like, hi. <laughs> uh, she is she just seems adorable and like too precious for this fandom of like just she's just crying on the red carpet she's crying to interviewers she's just so happy to be a part of this and that's i'm crying too all the time so uh i'm i'm very happy that she's in it and i mean i did also think that her character what i would have liked i mean i think we're gonna get to i think the casino planet Save the worst for last. Uh, yeah, the Casino Planet in a bit. But what I would have liked, I think we both agree that Casino Planet went on for too long. What I would have liked instead, because I think you could have cut that down, what I would have liked instead was more of a um, more of an introduction to Rose and Paige, her sister. Because Paige dies within the first few minutes. She sacrifices herself heroically we have no we have really no introduction to her character other than that one moment and where it seems like she might be a little force sensitive it she might be she might be um we have no introduction to the stakes of her dying if i didn't know ahead of time oh here's this character named rose and her sister's a gunner for the resistance I Which I did not know ahead of time, by the way. I was like, oh, this is just a random woman who I'm being shown is acting heroically. Uh, I knew ahead of time, and I was like, oh, I know that I'm supposed to care about this. But what I would have liked, I mean, you get the moments right in the original trilogy before, uh, before they go out for the battle, where Luke is talking to his friend, and it's usually a friend who ends up dead at the end of it, um, where, you know, Luke is saying, oh my god, we have so much to catch up about after this, and I, it's so good to see you, and, you know, like, us understanding their connection before they take off means that when that guy dies, I have a feeling about it. I, I feel something about it. And for me, the stakes just... R.I.P. Porkins. Yeah, R.I.P. Biggs, right? Those Biggs. No, but... You're thinking of which? I am, damn it. <laughs> Um, like I feel something when he doesn't make it because Luke feels something when he doesn't make it because we know they have a pre-existing relationship. Whereas with, with Paige, I knew just because I knew that Rose was going to be a big character that that was, you know, that she's got a sister who, you know, I'm assuming doesn't make it right. Like I kind of knew that going in, 
but I would have liked to see. And also, I will say, obviously, because I do a podcast with my sister, and I love my sister very much, I'm a sucker for sister storylines, and we don't Oh, have... yeah, when I found out it was her sister, I was like, no! Yeah, right? I was like, I was like, these are two sisters who, it sounds like they are all that each other has in the world, right? We don't know about their parents. They were, you know, little street urchins or something, basically, like, as we come to find out when they're on Casino Planet. And... They join this this re- resistance because it means something, and it sounds like Paige was the older sister, and this resistance meant more to Paige, and and it sounded like Rose was following her sister and saying, "Okay, I believe in you, so I believe in this." Right, and I would have liked that explored more than I would have liked a chase scene on the like horse monsters through casino town. Like, I would have wanted, and I I was also thinking about this because you and I had a conversation ahead of time, so I was thinking about it on the way home, that I think another way that they could have solidified the relationship between Finn and Rose without having to go to Casino Planet, uh. yeah, would be for her to be so broken up about losing her sister. And she was, you know, crying alone, which is exactly what I would do. Like, I honestly, if you died heroically saving the galaxy, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed ever. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, just put me in one of those pods that they put Princess Leia in while she's convalescing because I'll just be here forever. But, <laughs> but, you know, for her to be so broken up about her sister and for Finn to not know how to handle that and for her to say haven't you ever lost anybody? Like, where's your humanity? And for him to say, well, I never knew my parents because I was taken from a family that I never knew. And the only people that I grew up around were like these monsters and these murderers. And, you know, death is a part, was a part of my everyday existence. And I made the choice to get away from that, but I can't relate to having somebody, the the closest person that I have to what you have in page is Ray. And I have to go, protect her, find her, all that. I think that would have been a much more economical way of telling the story that we needed to know because, you know, all the stuff on the casino planet was like, I thought some of the moral murkiness was a little interesting to me, but I don't think we needed a 10 minute scene about it. It felt like more than 10 minutes. I I don't know how long it was. I guess we're going there. I guess we're done with the... The, the middle ground yeah. stuff and we're right into the stuff yeah. that I hated and yeah. Casino oh, I Planet also, is... wait, before we get there I will say I thought Rose was gonna sacrifice herself at the end because I I thought it seems she... like that was kind of how it was written and then they kind of pulled back on it at the last minute I understand maybe why. made a last minute decision to to change but I thought I, I thought that was sort of goofy as well the fact that she she essentially sacrificed herself to stop Finn from sacrificing himself, which I yeah. thought was so weird. Yeah. And and it was framed as this is the correct moral choice versus what Finn's moral choice was, which was wrong, because he was doing it out of a sense of hatred for the First Order, which is like, no, you can hate space Nazis. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, like, when they were gearing up for that and it was like, when Poe says, no, this is a suicide mission, I was like, oh, this has to be Rose because, again, speaking as a sister who loves her sister very much, if if you died heroically, I would think to myself, I, you What's know... What's a nice suicide mission I could sign up for? That's, uh, I would say, at the end of it, I said, I assume she didn't want to live without her sister. 
because that was her whole world, right? And so to me, it felt a little flat that she would sacrifice herself for this guy that she's basically known for like a day. I love Finn. Yeah, I'm like 18 hours, Finn. right? I'm 18 hours Finn, is, but... is the clock they started at the beginning of this stupid side quest was 18 hours. So yeah, she's known him for less than a day. She's known, Yeah, she's basically known him for, for less than a day. And she's willing to sacrifice herself for him when I think, you know, I understand why they didn't want to kill her. I totally get that. And I, I respect that. But I think uh, it, to me the choice you know and and to start the movie right she says i'm a nobody I, I i'm behind you know pipes all day for her to start the movie as a nobody and end a hero you know would have been an interesting choice but i guess maybe they were like we can't have two women sacrificing themselves like you are yeah that would have been a though. weird yeah, yeah definitely weird I will okay now say... we're talking about casino planet oh, okay. you cannot stop me anymore okay we're talking about f casino planet i it was don't rough. That was care about Casino Land. Look, I realize they were trying to make a capital P point about, you know, inequality of class and wealth and about how, you know, the resistance stands up for the little kids who have to sleep in the stables while the high rollers, you know, screw around at the at the porg gambling tables. I don't know why I said porg, whatever. <laughs> um <laughs> The porg tables, we just throw porgs around. I get it, but you have got to be kidding me with that scene. That series of scenes. I mean, it it was over the top and ridiculous. It was, it felt like such a side quest. It was like, I mean, from the moment that Maz Kanata gets on her little video phone and is like, I'm in the middle of a firefight. Go find the guy with the blue f- and red flower at the casino. And it's like... That's just like ex- a cutscene from a video It game. was 100% a hundred percent a cutscene from a video game. It was inexcusable. Yeah. See, I didn't hate it as much as you do, but I think they could have... They, they could have... They could have handled all of the points that they wanted to get across via Casino Planet. They could have they could have introduced them in different ways. They well, just... you know, someone who wrote an article, I think I, this is in the Washington Post, I put it into the show notes. She pointed out that all the points that are made interminably over the course of half an hour about murky gray moral areas and, and playing both sides against the middle that take half an hour to get through in this movie are summed up in like eight lines by Lando Calrissian in Empire. That's really true. I mean, Lando's the perfect example of a character who plays both sides against the middle all the time. I mean, that's that's his bread and butter is doing that. So I, I, I do think that's really true. And I actually, one thing I will say is, uh, you know, Benicio del, del Toro's character, I think, was underutilized um, in this because I think he's a great actor and I would have liked to see him do a little bit more. But one thing that I did take away from that was I don't have a problem with like he's essentially like a Lando Calrissian character I don't have a problem with a character like that and I actually gasped when he kind of like the reveal was that he like turned them in for the reward money or whatever like I was sort of taken aback by that how did he can you explain to me the mechanics of how exactly he sold out the transports how did he know about the transports I don't remember. It's been a few days since I've seen it. So, I mean, I, I literally just don't remember all the mechanics of those scenes. So I mean, it I wasn't until I was back. like, wait, you know, Finn's like, wait, what did you sell them? And it's like, oh, they're in the transport. Shoot the transports. I'm like, 
How did Benicio del Toro know about the transports? I don't think Finn and Rose knew about the transports, right? I mean, I guess they did, but... they I think they did. They did, but, but we didn't hear them discussing it, right? Am I supposed to infer that they discussed it in front of him? And that's like, come on, that's too many steps for me to have I to take as a viewer. I honestly don't remember, but my main feeling about Benicio's character was he is what Han Solo could have been if Han Solo did not have a soul right? Mm. That's why I'm a little bit more forgiving of it because for me, you know, in A New Hope, uh, you know, he is introduced, Harrison Ford is introduced as this mercenary. He's only out for himself. And literally she says, uh, Leia says to Luke, your friend is quite the mercenary. I wonder if he cares about anything but himself. And then Luke says, I care because he's trying to impress her. Um, Literally, your friend is quite the mercenary. Benicio del Toro is a literal mercenary. He is selling out, you know, to the highest bidder, selling secrets, selling weapons, whatever, stealing ships, and justifying it to himself, which is what we see Han Solo do in in episode four. Kid, I've gone from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen it all. You know, you can't tell me that there's a force that controls everything. You can't tell me that it's good against evil. It's every man for himself. I'm out for me. That was his character in, in episode four until close to the very end. And then you see him become just like a general for the rebellion. He becomes a real believer in in this system. And, you know, when we see him in episode seven, he's grizzled and he says, it's all, he said, I used to wonder about this myself, but it's all real, Right. But Benicio del Toro's character is a, is what Han could have been had he been completely amoral the entire time, right? And even Lando has more of a soul than Benicio. And I think I would have liked, if they were going to explore that, I think, I think you're right that Lando did it more economically and Han did it at the beginning and then had more of a turn. If you want to have a character who's basically... He's not chaotic evil. He's kind of chaotic neutral. He does what he wants. Yeah, exactly. And he wants. And I think Laura Dern's character is lawful neutral. She she does the exact thing. It's not good. It's not bad. But it what it's it's what should be done in that moment, right? Um, I, so I appreciated it from that angle. But that was I had to take a couple of narrative steps to myself in order to get there. You know? It's not it, the payoff is not worth the setup. It's not yeah. worth yeah. all of the nonsense with the, the... I mean, one of my friends said when we got out of the movie, like, that whole, you know, jackalope, you know... Jackalope uh, is a great word for those things. Stampede scene. It was like pod racing all over again. And I can't yeah. completely disagree with him. It was ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, I mean that just, was... Ugh. That was sort of... To me, that was the Raptor scene in, in Force Awakens, right? It was the scene that you didn't really need to set up these characters. We didn't need to know Han Solo is smuggling like dangerous, you know, dangerous things. things. Yeah. We know that about him because we've known he's a smuggler for 30 years. You know, we don't, I, I think they could have had conversations about their family and I think they could have had, you know, I think they even could have gone, you know, maybe they don't go straight to the, to the, you know, giant ship. Maybe they have to, go on some kind of side quest. I mean, I, I do appreciate the idea of, we see a lot of poverty in this universe. We see a lot of subsistence in subsistence farming or subsistence, you know, just getting, getting by in this universe. We don't tend to dwell on a lot of opulence in this universe. So I, 
I appreciate wanting to show that there are people who are completely unaffected and in, and in some cases are profiting from the conflict, not even just not affected, but, but profiting from it. But I think to your point, it went on for too long and it was just uh, an excuse for more action when I would have rather the action between uh, Finn and Phasma go on longer or be more substantial. Poor Phasma, honest to God. Why would yeah. they even cast Gwendolyn Christie in this role? She has like six lines in this movie. Yeah. I mean, and I wonder if they did more with her and it got cut or something and we'll get some extra features or some scenes with her. But I really think she was underutilized. I thought she was underutilized in the first movie too. Yeah, but when that happened, we were all assured like, well, it's Gwendolyn Christie. She's going to have more of a role in the next one. Everyone's like, oh, okay. And then like, nope. <laughs> she just, you know, she, has she a, gets shafted again. Yeah, she has, a, she gets a, a few really good hits in. And then, you know, and I also have mixed feelings about Finn ultimately not being the one to kill her because he doesn't. She falls down a shaft or whatever. She falls, you know, the, the ground breaks open beneath her and she falls, you know, it, it, w- we've seen Luke's moral murkiness. We've seen Benicio's sort of amoral behavior. Is it not okay for Finn to have a little bit of both sides in him? We've seen it in, in Ray, we've seen it in in your boyfriend Ben. We've seen it. All these different characters have had their moral swings, their moral ups and downs. You know, even Poe is has you know not a moral swing, but is comes around to a different moral lesson at the end than he started with. And for Finn, right. I felt like his character unfortunately was a little flat in this movie. Last movie, he had so much to do, uh, and he was such an amazing character, and I was. I was blown away to see uh, a stormtrooper go to the other side. And in this movie, I think he was, I think as you put it, had the least successful subplot. And I hope in By episode nine. By a country nine, mile. Yeah, I think, I hope in episode nine he gets more. I did love when they reunited, when, when Ray and Finn reunited and hugged. I, I loved that moment very much. But, you know, for most of it, I think, you know, he just sort of got shafted. So what, uh, where do we go from here? I mean, I don't see what they can do in episode nine. Um, there's not a clear path forward for me that I can see anyway. Um, some have suggested maybe a bit of a time jump so that they can kind of rebuild the resistance, you know, in some intervening years. And this Washington Post piece that I think I'm going to link to makes a really good point that's like, you know, the more difficult thing to do with these movies would be to move past the big dark side, little light side um, conflict and to move into the politics, the world building. Now, it doesn't, the problem with that, obviously, is we have seen how badly that can go oh, in the prequels. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Um, and you know, it's ultimately a space opera with lots of battles needed. So you would need to craft a story that somehow created worlds and nations or whatever, while also having like space dog fights. Right. Yeah. But it would certainly be a possibility. I mean, for, for one thing, you could kind of flip the script and say, you know, there is a new Republic and it's, you know, the dogfights are with these little rogue elements of dark side followers who are still, you know, who now they are the resistance, right? 
Um, it's inherently conservative for these movies to stick to the script of the Tridge of, well, the bad guys are in charge and the, and the good guys are, are the underdog and, and we're just going to play out that scenario in every single movie because, you know, realistically you, you can't actually sustain that forever. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, going back to our conversation about Ray and Kylo Ren, if if we are to believe him in that moment in the throne room where he he expresses um, a level of frustration with her that she's not understanding what he's trying to say about throw it all away and let's build something new. And so maybe it isn't, you know, maybe that's what it's going to become is not, you know, the dark side and the light side at odds with one another, but the dark side and the light side complementing one another and understanding that we are all made of both you know we have ray certainly has moments where she's unstable i I think the fact that she in a moment in a a, in self-defense against snoke uh grabs kylo ren's red lightsaber without a without a hesitation to me says you know she has some she has some dark side in her we've seen luke's moments of weakness and luke's dark side and we've certainly seen that again and again and again over you know again we keep talking we keep saying we're not going to talk about the prequels but like you know every master basically has had a moment where they they run into their failures and instead of embracing it and saying you know this is a part of the struggle and there's an ongoing struggle between good and evil not in the not just in the universe but inside of me the 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 their instinct is to just like say i failed you and, and give up right move become a hermit we've seen that with with yoda <laughs> we've seen it with obi-wan we've seen it with luke right and qui-gon dies before he can get there but i'm sure he would have done it too if 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 he'd had the chance we've seen them say i'm gonna if i can't be a hundred percent good i'm gonna renounce this i'm gonna i'm gonna step away from it when in reality i think you know the what Kylo might have been trying to say in that moment, and, and I think what Ray might ultimately, the conclusion that they might ultimately come to, and I don't, again, I don't know. I mean, I think if if The Good Place and Star Wars have, have anything in common for me at this point, it's that I have learned not to predict anything. Yeah. But I think it would be really interesting if it's not the dark side and the light side in conflict, but the dark side and the light side complementing one another and creating something new out of that. That would actually be a very satisfying conclusion. Um, I am wary because I know that Disney wants to keep cranking out Star Wars movies until the end of time. Sure. So to come to like a balanced and lovely resolution, like actually we realize that having these two polar opposite forces is tearing the, the galaxy apart. And what we actually need is for like a secular government with, <laughs> yeah, with like, you know, there's no Jedi order and there's no Sith Lords and there's none of that. And we all sort of recognize that we have potential for good and evil inside of us. And those of us who are more in tune with the force can kind of hang out with each other, but we're going to leave you normals to govern. <laughs> that's, that's a really good vision, but like, when you are Disney and you're like, this is my cash cow and I'm going to get a movie out of this at least every two years and maybe more often. Like that's a pretty, um, uh, it's a pretty flaccid 
place to hang your hat on if you want to keep just spinning off and spinning off. Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of gets into a much bigger conversation that I'm, you know, I can't speak intelligently on on this at all, but a much bigger conversation about what the Star Wars universe looks like now that it is part of like the money making machine that we've seen from like when Disney acquired Marvel and now there's a new Marvel movie every five minutes and I enjoy those movies but I understand that they're not quite a lot of them aren't quite at the quality of that I would really like you know the original trilogy feels so precious to me the original trilogy of Star Wars feels so precious to me because it was this complete package and this complete story that had a million different directions you could go in and they've chosen particular directions and there's an expanded universe that I know is now sort of you know not considered canon anymore for some some of the stories but even with these new stories they're creating different offshoots and all these different things so novelizations and whatnot novelizations and and different worlds and you know we get to see Poe's mom going on adventures with Luke like that's pretty freaking cool so like I think I think if I I think I would be interested to know or to to kind of see um you know if they're willing to let episode nine be the end of the like Skywalker story and then create a universe around this you know again prequels through episode nine that is about the Skywalkers and about the generations that bring balance to the force right and then you just have all these other movies are offshoot movies and you know Rogue One Solo a Boba Fett movie, a a movie about Poe growing up, a movie about Finn's home planet. I don't care. I mean, there's so much in this universe that you could focus on. And I do also want to point out that at the very end of this movie, I'm sure you caught it. You got a little Force-sensitive little boy in the stables there at the end of Casino Planet. Yep. So that is, to me, you know, I think you could train... I think you could have a next generation of Force-sensitive kids who aren't always going up against each other but learning how to work cooperatively and that kind of thing. When have we ever seen a collection of Force-sensitive little kids who were not slaughtered en masse? Well, we haven't seen it that much because by the time we get to episode four, it's like there's one Jedi left and it's been that way the whole freaking time. No, it's happened twice that you get a collection of Force-sensitive kids and they all get murdered. Oh, 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 right, 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 right. Yes. Um, yeah, it doesn't go well. So maybe... If I am the mom of a Force-sensitive kid, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't need this letter to Hogwarts. Your, Thanks your, very much. Your track record, uh, I don't know. I would have actually, going back backwards for a second, I would have actually liked to see a lot more of the Knights of Ren. Because, like, what's their deal? Where are they? Where are they? I had the same thought. I was like, we see Stormtroopers. Joel, who is a listener to this, was like, thought that the that the red Praetorian guard on Snoke was the Knights of Ren. I was like, those aren't the Knights of Ren. Those are the same Crayolas who were hey, guarding. Who are <laughs> right, this is a Robot Chicken Star Wars reference that all of you should go watch Robot Chicken Star Wars. But yes, oh my God, the hysterical. same the same Crayolas who are get who are guarding uh, Palpatine in uh, Jedi. So I know I'd say outfits. Return of the Jedi instead of Last Jedi. Uh, just Jedi. I know. Um, it, that's not the Knights of Ren. What happened to the Knights of Ren? What Where are these to people? Them, guys, what happened to them? And are we going to see them 
It would be nice if they were all like, hey, um, we used to be friends with Ben, and now he's, like, real messed up in the head, and, like... Well, Maybe you... so are they. I mean, if you if you look back at the at the um, sort of force dream that Ray has, the force vision that Ray has, she ends up in the field in the rain while Kylo Ren is like slaughtering people, and and it pans out, and there's like a group of the Knights of Ren. And they're still alive. Yeah, but maybe they were like 14 years old at the time. You know what I mean? Maybe now yeah. they've grown up and they're like, they're we like, were in a really bad place back then. And... It's like a, kind of someone coming out of a gang. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, we are going to band together with Ray in order to get our old friend Ben to rehab. Oh my God, I want that. That's what I want. <laughs> I want like Ray, like, you know, at the beginning of uh, like... D2 Mighty Ducks where they like get the band back together or get the team back together. That's your reference for getting the band back together is D2 Mighty Ducks? (laughs) I don't know why. I'm ashamed. I'm actually not. I like that movie. But like, you know, but she's just like knocking on people's doors like, hey, did you know a Ben Solo? And it's like all these guys who are sort of reluctantly like, yeah, I I knew him a while ago. Okay, well, I'm trying to, trying to help him out of a tough spot could you just like let's all just do like intervention dark side style like maybe that would be it where are they where are the knights of ren guys <sighs> major if, plot hole if, if you not know, plot hole but uh, but but a uh, major plot thread that is sort of still unraveled did you have any plot that's actually a good question did you have any plot threads that you wish were tidied up that weren't or new ones that you want to see tied up i didn't think that they sufficiently explained how Ray got from uh, Snoke's, like, chamber back onto the Millennium Falcon. I didn't either, yeah. Um, I thought she was going to run into Finn. I thought that was going to be... Yeah, their... that would have made sense. I thought that was going to be their reunion, and I was <laughs> but then, for that. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my major one. I was like, wait, how did she get... Wait, what? Oh, and then also, like I said before, how did Benicio Del Toro know to, like, sell out yeah. the this whole transport thing? How did he even know about it? Yeah. But, um, but I mean, any it's plot, a messy any movie. I mean, really, it is a messy movie. That is not to say it is good or bad. It is messy. There's a lot... They're, they were trying to do a lot. I think they were... they Arguably way too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I would argue that in some cases, The Force Awakens didn't do enough. So they had to overcompensate in some ways, right? I mean, you have the introduction of all these new characters, but you have no idea. It's like you get flashes of Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren. You get flashes. You you see Luke for a second, but he doesn't talk. You have no idea what's been going on with him. You have, you know, it, it's basically like they set up all this stuff, but they there were so many questions that I think, this movie had a lot to answer for and answered some of it really well and some of it left some stuff to be desired, I think. That sounds like a good place to wrap up. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved it. But I loved parts of it a lot more than... I don't know if I loved it. I really, really enjoyed some parts of it. Um, I was very it, affected by it, let me say. It, it, But it was such a mixed bag for me that it's really hard. I mean, I'm probably going to go back to see it again with you and our mom. Woo! But it's going to be, like, really hard to sit through some parts of it. You know, knowing how many dead ends there are, knowing how many 
um, blind alleys there are, it's going to be really hard to sit there and be like, well, now I have to watch them go through this whole blind alley again. You know, the payoff is that I get to watch, you know, Ray and Kylo Ren destroy a room full of Praetorian guards, right? But basically, that's that's kind of like watching the uh, Serenity movie just to watch... um, Summer Glow. Just to watch Summer Glow destroy the room of Reavers. Yes, know? that's exactly that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Wash gets killed in that movie, and and they killed off Luke in this movie. So, R.I.P. Uh, you know, uh, with that, I think I can say, uh, may the force be with you. See you next time, nerd herders. Do 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 do